And I'm going to read the same passage again. So, chapter 2, sorry, yep, thank you. Colossians chapter 2, uh, reading verses 1 uh, through 10. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built in, up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. And so we, I want to pick up in verse, uh, verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. The word there that anyone cheat you uh, means literally carried away as spoil. So we see a few military terms here that you uh, hold your position in the line, that you don't break ranks. And now he says there's a danger that you could be carried away as booty or spoil in war. So when he says, be careful that anyone cheat you, that you not be carried away as spoil, and obviously by the devil. The devil at the end of the day is the one who wants to spoil us, who wants to take us as the uh, trophies of war, and uh, we need to be careful. And he's using all sorts of things to achieve his purpose. And in fact, this uh, verse, and I'm going to spend most of the time in this verse uh, has a whole bunch of things that are interrelated that deal with this. And so the first thing he says is philosophy. Now the problem with that word is the moment we hear that word philosophy, we immediately think of Greek philosophy. That he's talking about the philosophy of Aristotle and all of those clever guys who lived a long time ago. Uh, but I don't believe that that is Paul's intention here. While philosophy was a threat to some Christians, it wasn't the problem uh, for Colossae. The problem was not Greek philosophy that he was concerned with. I believe that Paul is using this term in its literal sense. And the, the, the word philosophy only in recent times has been attached to the Greek philosophers. Uh, philosophy, the word is very simple to understand. You don't need to be a Greek scholar. Um, so it's made up of two parts. It's an anglicized word based on the Greek word. And so the first word is philio, which means love. The second word is sophia, which means wisdom. So the love of wisdom. That's why obviously the Greeks are known as those who loved wisdom. And Paul spoke about that. I'm going to come back to that. We touched on that very briefly from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2. Um, and I'm going to come back to some of those thoughts in a moment. 
So the Greeks loved wisdom. They, they loved to stand uh, or sit on Mars Hill, amongst other places in Athens, and uh, debate uh, the origin of the, of the universe and uh, all sorts of things. Some useful stuff came out of that. Um, uh, things like mathematics and a lot of uh, modern ideas of maths is based on that. Uh, some uh, political stuff, how a republic is formed and established and how a republic runs, the idea of democracy, all of these things come out of, out of them. And they, they just loved knowledge. And you remember that Paul speaks about the fact that they loved nothing better than to hear or tell some new thing. That is the, the underlying thing of philosophy. It's the love of knowledge and the love of wisdom. And he says, now, be careful that you are not deceived, that you are not carried away as spoil by the love of knowledge or wisdom. And I've introduced this this morning, and so you know where I'm going on this, that there is a tendency today for Christians to get involved in knowledge for knowledge's sake. Now remember this passage I referred to in Corinthians, he says there, is, there are Jews and there are Greeks. The Jews seek for a sign, the Greeks seek for wisdom. Two different kinds of people. And we have both those kinds of people present in the world today. It's not whether you are of Jewish descent or of Greek descent, it's a frame of mind. It's a, it's a, a way of thinking. Greeks are all about the intellect about reasoning and figure th figuring things out and working things out. The Jews are about sensationalism, uh, miracles and signs and those kinds of things. And we have those two extremes today as well. And I'm not going to put names to them because I, I seem to have a, a, one of my special gifts in the ministry is to upset people. So, so you can put the names on uh, these groups if you will. But on the one side are those who are into sensationalism not cessationalism, sensationalism, into the, that which is exciting, the signs and the wonders and things are happening and things are, are and, and we want miracles. And um, uh, later on, and I'm not going to get there, but later on, Paul speaks about angels. Uh, oh, we, uh, did you hear the, the, the angels' wings in the meeting this morning? Did, did you hear them? Well, I didn't hear them. Uh, we don't worship angels. But it's exciting. And that, that's what the Jews like. They like that kind of stuff. And there are people today who like that kind of stuff. Now, the, on the other extreme are those who say, no, we're not shallow like those people. They, they're all emotional and they're into hype and all of that kind of stuff. We're deep. We, we, we think things through. Uh, we, we know the Greek and the Hebrew and uh, and we know the, the hidden meanings here in Scripture. We, 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 uh, we follow the church fathers and, and other great sages who, who, who know things and wrote great books and came up with wonderful ideas. Uh, we're, 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 we're the deep people. And Paul says, in fact, you're both shallow. The one is simply emotional, the other one is intellectual, but they both miss the point. And Paul could give them both of those things. Paul could perform miracles. Uh, there, there's not a lot about Paul's miracles, but clearly he had tremendous power. Remember, they would take uh, his handkerchiefs or the cloths that he wiped his brow with, um, and they would put that on people, and people would be healed. And people have tried to re recreate that today, and it doesn't work. It only worked for Paul. 
But Paul had real, real ability to perform miracles. But he says, when I came amongst you, he says, I wasn't going to give you the miracles. Could Paul, have, could, could Paul argue with the philosophers? Yes, he could. He could argue with the Hebrew sages and scholars. As I said to you this morning, he learned from the very best. He could argue with the very best. He says in his resume or his CV, whatever you call it here, he says that I, I uh, exceeded my fellows. I, I, I reached the top of my class. Personally, I think he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Some people don't b believe he was. We don't have anything definitive, but it seems to me that he was. And he says in that context, I was one of the, the, the top minds in Israel. So he could argue with the best of the Hebrew sages, and he could argue with the best of the Greek philosophers. And he says, I'm not gonna, I didn't come to give you wisdom. Because he is not to be found in human wisdom. He is not to be found in the miracles as such. He says, what I'm going to give you, what I gave you, is Christ and him crucified. To the Jews' foolishness, as, uh, to the Jews' weakness, a stumbling block to the Greeks' foolishness. But folk, that's where it's at. And we need to be careful that we don't overreact to the nonsense and the emptiness and the, uh, the, the hype of one side of Christianity today and end up in the other camp where we find ourselves filling our heads with knowledge and with uh, information and we still miss the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about miracles. It's not about those things uh, and about knowledge and wisdom. It's about Jesus. Paul says knowledge puffs up. Now, please understand, I'm not against studying. As I told you, I did go to school once. They kicked me out before the time, but I did read one or two books. But it's not about knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. Why does knowledge puff up? Because I know things. You see, there are churches and preachers that you can watch and you can attend, and the preachers will analyze the text, and they'll give you the grammatical historical context, and they'll give you the Greek, and they'll give you the Hebrew, and they'll give you all of the arguments, and they'll tell you what all of the commentaries say, and you go away, and you say, hey... Aren't I clever? I learned some things today. I know some things. I know a couple of Greek words. I know philosophy. The teaching of God's Word is not there to increase our knowledge so that we go away feeling proud of ourselves. The purpose of the preaching and the teaching of God's Word is that Jesus Christ might be formed in us. And if the preacher and if I have taught you things this morning and I haven't brought you a little bit closer to the Lord Jesus and allowed the Lord Jesus to be formed in you a little bit more, then I have failed. You can understand this passage. You can understand the words that I've spoken about. You can understand the theology that I speak about this morning. But if you go away from here unchanged this morning, I have not done my job as a preacher. 
And every time I stand in the pulpit to open God's Word, I have one concern, and that is that people are changed by the Word of God, and that they are transformed into His image. And that is not an experience that genders pride. Because when we see Him, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. Not one of the men in the Old Testament who had an experience with God, including Paul in the New Testament, who was caught up into the third heaven, come out of that experience proud of their achievement. Everyone come out of that experience broken and humbled before God. And if the preaching of God's Word doesn't leave us humbled before Him, and I don't mean that we always need to be downcast and despondent and discouraged, but if it doesn't leave us a, a, a little bit more in awe of His greatness and a little bit more aware of my weakness and my absolute dependence upon Him, then it is not the preaching of God's Word. It is simply philosophy. And the vast majority of books that you can buy in the Christian bookstores today, although you can buy online from Amazon, are simply philosophy. They're the love of wisdom, the love of knowledge, and they do not form Christ within us. Paul says, don't be deceived by philosophy. Don't be deceived by preachers who run around with doctorates and PhDs and who can speak Hebrew and Greek and uh, whatever other language. Are they preaching Jesus? Don't be deceived by books. It doesn't matter how many people have read that book. It doesn't matter if it's on the bestseller list. It doesn't matter how many endorsements by big names are on the back of the book. If you begin to read that book and it's not making you to be a little bit more like the Lord Jesus, then put it aside. It's a waste of time. Don't be carried away by philosophy, by human wisdom. Because in that process, we run after all sorts of and end up in all sorts of heresy and all sorts of error. I believe the point that Paul is making is stick with the one thing that is able to save you, and that is Jesus Christ. I, I'm pleased, folks. I'm not suggesting that we have a stupid, uneducated, un, under, without understanding form of religion. And I trust that you can understand that as I'm ex expounding the Word of God, that we have some understanding of these things that we must understand what the Scripture is saying. We must rightly divide the word of truth. We must study, and as I said to you earlier, I teach in a school where we train pastors, and we have one desire, and that is not to send pastors out there that have degrees or have achieved a, a, some level of knowledge, but men who have been changed into the image of Jesus Christ and are thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, that's the purpose of the word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for instruction and doctrine and all those things. And we read that verse, and that's the problem. We read these verses one at a time. But verse 17 gives us the purpose of the Word of God. Why is all Scripture inspired? 
Why do we have doctrine? Why do we have instruction in righteousness? Verse 17 says that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The purpose of the Word of God is not for us to know doctrine or theology while those things are important, but to equip us for good work. Jesus doesn't say, go into all the world, make disciples, and teach them about all of the intricacies of the Godhead. Teach them how to be able to debate concerning predestination or human responsibility. He says, teach them to do what? To observe. The word observe means to do, to keep all things that I have commanded you. Our commission is not to teach doctrine. And folks, please understand me, I am not against doctrine. As much as Paul could argue with the best concerning doctrine, I can argue with the best as far as doctrine is concerned, if I have to boast. But if I came here this morning and I taught you about some obscure uh, attribute of God, even if it's 100% true, it does not teach you to observe the things that Jesus taught. It does not equip you for every good work. And so we need to be careful of knowledge for knowledge's sake. We need to be careful of those who impress us with their, with their academic background and their degrees and their knowledge and their fancy words and their long arguments that, uh, you know, baffle the mind. We go away and we say, well, I didn't understand half of it, but he certainly is clever. And I pray that when we go from here this morning, that you will understand what we've said. Our job as preachers, brethren, is not to confuse and to impress people with our knowledge. It's to make it plain, to make the word plain so that everyone can understand. That's where it's at. And so philosophy, be deceived or cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. Empty deceit. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that word of empty or vain in the King James. Obviously, empty is a good translation. It means it has no substance. And if you're going to have extra time and you're going to be surfing the internet and watching YouTube, just stop for a moment. And you were listening to a preacher, and you may have listened to him before you think he's pretty good. But ask yourself, is there substance to what he is saying? Or is it just empty? The biggest church in America, 20-odd thousand people filling that stadium tomorrow morning, because it's Saturday in America now. Just hot air. God has a wonderful plan for your life. You have potential. You can be great. But there's no substance. There's, no, there's, there's nothing of value. It's empty. And it's deceit. I praise God that when I found Jesus, I found reality. 
that there is substance in Him, that He is able to satisfy our deepest longings and our deepest needs. One of my favorite hymns, we, it's not in our hymn book, but it was in our hymn book in South Africa, probably my all-time favorite hymn, He is not a disappointment. Jesus is far more to me than in all my glowing daydreams I had fancied He could be. Everything else that I've involved myself in in this world, and I've read on every subject, I've dabbled in every form and area of business and of life in this world and every sport, and I have found them to be wanting. As Solomon says, it's all vanity. It's empty. But the one thing that has kept my attention for 50 years is Jesus Christ. Every day he is new, every day he is fresh, every day he is real, every day he has substance. Everything else is vain deceit, empty deceit, according to the tradition of men. Folk, be careful of the traditions of men. And remember, I think I said in the first session, there are good traditions and bad traditions. And Paul says, speaks about the tradition you have received from me. So that's a good tradition. And, and just by the way, the word tradition here is not only limited to the sort of ceremonies and pomp and the, and the liturgy and the, those kinds of things that we do. It's also connected with the doctrine that we teach. That's the way the scripture uses the word tradition. So, but Paul says, be careful of the traditions of men. We, we praise God for godly traditions. I thank God for my ancestors, my grandfather and great-grandfather, my mother, who left a wonderful legacy in my life of loving God and loving His Word and loving His people. That's a good tradition. I'm very grateful for that tradition. I'm grateful for the tradition that we received from Paul and from other faithful men. But be careful of the traditions of men. So there are traditions of God. It's God, God has ordained that the word be passed from one generation to the other. Somebody made a whole YouTube against me saying that I believe some kind of heresy because of the statement I've just made. So think about what I've said, go home and see whether that's true. Paul says to Timothy, the things I have taught you, you need to go and teach other men, and they need to teach other men. That's the principle that God established. So the truth is passed from one generation to the other. And, and we need to be careful about reinventing the wheel every time. Saying, well, you know, my father, my grandfather, my, gra my great-grandfather, they didn't know what they were talking about. I need to find, we need to establish the truth for ourselves. But when we test our tradition, what, that, what, we, what we have received from older brethren like a brother Werner here, we need to test that tradition against the Scripture, and if it is a valid tradition, let's hold on to it. But if it's simply a tradition of men, then let's, let's forget about it. Let's not hold on to it. On Friday night, I made reference to two friends of mine who've got involved in Greek Orthodoxy and Eastern Orthodoxy. And every time I have this discussion with them, why did you go there? The, the answer is always the same. 
The answer is that we're tired of the shallowness of modern Christianity. We want the tradition that goes back to the church fathers. Well, you can keep your tradition that goes back to the church fathers. My tradition goes back to Jesus Christ. I'm not interested in the church fathers. I'm interested in what Jesus taught and what Paul taught and Peter and John and the others who wrote the New Testament. That's my tradition. And God help us that we build our tradition on the reformers. Yes, they did some good stuff. I don't deny that. But they are not God, and they're not Paul, and they're not Jesus, and they're not the 12 apostles. Our tradition goes back to the New Testament. I, I have never able, been able to understand why you want to go back to the church fathers when, in fact, you can go back to the author. Go back to these men that have interpreted theologians of time past and their interpretation when you can go back to the one who wrote it and the same spirit that inspired those men to write the Scriptures is able to inspire us to understand the Scriptures. So be careful of the traditions of men. The fact that people that we have done things for such a long time doesn't make it right. You can do the wrong thing for a thousand years. It's still going to be wrong. And then he says, according to the basic principles of the world. Philosophy, empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world. So what he is saying then is that all of these things, the philosophy, the empty deceit, the traditions of men, is based on the principles of the world. So what are principles? Principles of the fundamentals of any area of knowledge. Every area of knowledge in this world is based on principles. Mathematics is based on, and I'm just going to try and keep this short because... Um, I can see Ella's getting hungry. <laughs> Sorry. But mathematics is based on the principle that one plus one equals two. All of addition, subtraction, multiplication, division is based on that principle. All of algebra. All of the mathematical equations that they calculate with computers and things to send a man to the moon and to send and bring him back again. All of that is based on one principle, and that is one plus one is two. All of the literature in the world, thousands, millions, millions of books, great works of art, Shakespeare and all of these great writers, all the theolo theological writers, all the philosophical writers, all the poets. It's based on the principle of 26 letters. Nothing more, nothing less. Just 26 letters. That's what it all comes down to. So a principle is the basic fundamental that everything else rests on. You remember Jesus, they said to him, what is the greatest command? And he says, you must love the Lord and your neighbor as yourself. On these, he said, hang all the law and the commandments. So those are the principles, Paul uses the word spirit, on which everything hangs. 
So, how many principles are there in the Old Testament? One principle. In fact, there, there, sometimes there are different ones. I'm going to give you two principles. The first is love the Lord. All 613 commands hang on that one. And you say, well, what about the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. No, the second one hangs on the first one. If you love God, you'll not love your neighbor. You don't need a second one to say you don't need to love your neighbor. If you love God, you'll love your neighbor. If you love him, you will, as Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If we love God, he will not take his name in vain. If we love him, we will not make idols. If we love him, we will not kill our neighbor. If we love him, we will not steal from our neighbor. And so we can go through the list. Only one, com one, one principle. But in fact, there's a second principle also. Jesus Christ. Jesus says you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. He's referring to the Old Testament. But he says it is they that speak of me. All of the Old Testament point to one person, Jesus Christ. And there's only one principle that underlies the whole of the New Testament, and that is Jesus Christ. That's the only principle. But here he's not speaking about that, and I alluded earlier to Hebrews chapter 5 and 6, where he speaks about the first principles of the oracles of God, uh, those fund fundamentals of the faith, of the Christian faith. But here he's speaking about the principles of the world, or the principle of the world. What is the basic principles of the world? There's only one. I. I. The Holy Trinity of the world. Me, I, and myself. Everything in this world comes down to that one issue. That one issue, all of the wealth of this world, all of the entertainment, everything that the world has to offer, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, comes down to I. God knows the day you eat thereof, you will be like him. Never mind God. Remember, the Bible begins in the beginning God. And Satan comes and says, don't worry about what he says. You can have something that he is withholding from you. It all comes down to I. And of course, that's the problem with the modern gospel. I'm not going to speak about that too much, but just say to you that the modern gospel revolves around I. God has a wonderful plan for your life. It's all about you. And Paul's definition of the gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Brother Colm quoted it this morning in his prayer, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he, was ro that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul says that's the, the gospel by which you were saved, that is the gospel that keeps you and in which you stand. So the gospel, the true gospel is Christ. The only part that I get to play in that formula or that definition of the gospel is that he died for my sins. 
Go through the book of Acts. Pastor Wynne has been teaching through the book of Acts. What was their message? They preached Jesus. They preached Christ. Same message over and over and over. And so don't be deceived by these things that are based on the principle of the world which, me, which is centers around me. We used to believe that the... Well, I still believe the earth is flat, but never mind that now. Not really. But we believe that the, the universe, the sun and the stars and the planets revolve around the earth. The earth is the center of the universe. And in fact, the Jews believed that not only was the earth the center of the universe, but Israel was the center of the world. And, and Jerusalem was the center of Israel. And the temple is the center of Jerusalem. So the center of everything is the temple. So we used to believe that idea. And then these men came, Copernicus and others, and said, no, in fact, the earth revolves around the sun. What heresy. Kicked them out of the church, the so-called church. And folk, the vast majority of Christians today believe that the gospel revolve around me, that God revolves around me, that the church revolves around me. And when the church is no longer pleasing me, and when the church doesn't do what I want, and I'm not getting out of the church what I want out of it, then I leave, I go and find another church that will revolve around me. And folk, if this church revolves around you, then you better get out of it. The church does not revolve around you. It revolves around Jesus Christ. We are there for His good pleasure. In fact, in Colossians, Paul speaks about the fact that He has created everything and He has created them for Himself. In Romans chapter 11, the last verse, he says that from Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. The book of Revelation says that all things were created for His good pleasure. We are not here for our own pleasure this morning. We are for His pleasure. He didn't save us because there's any merit or value in us. He saved us for Himself. And the only value and merit we have is what He has placed within us in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so don't be cheated through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of man, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Not according to Christ. That's the bottom line. And folk, I, I see Christians getting involved. I made a re brief reference, and I want to amp amplify or emphasize that very briefly as we draw to a close. Getting involved in all sorts of pursuits, Areas of knowledge and of wisdom. Studying and preaching against heresies. There I say it, Hebrew roots. Studying for the sake of studying. Areas of speciality. They are a deception because they take us away from the central truth of Jesus Christ. The central truth of Jesus Christ. These things can be helpful. 
I'm not denying the value or the importance of these things. Prophecy. Entire ministries. I made reference to that earlier on Thursday, I think. Entire ministries. Thousands of books are sold on the latest prophecy. By Sunday evening, a whole bunch of prophetic teachers will... I never came across that word in the Scriptures. I read about prophets and teachers. I never heard about prophetic teachers in Paul's ministry. But prophetic teachers will release their latest prophecy update week after week. And Christians log in and you can see the, you can see the hit rate on YouTube and Facebook by their thousands. Look, yes, we believe Jesus is coming. And we believe he's coming soon. But we get fascinated with these things and we're not fascinated with Jesus. And so all of them become a side issue. They become a distraction from the central truth. And here's the thing is the devil is very happy to keep us busy in dabbling in whatever it is as long as it's not with Jesus Christ. And so you'll grab your intention in this area and that area and the other, and you start reading the books and chasing down the whole, uh, you know, uh, pursuit of this kind of understanding and that kind of knowledge. But it's not Jesus. Paul says to the Galatians, and I know that I'm taking this verse slightly out of context, but I believe the Spirit is still true. He says, I'm concerned that you be drawn away as Eve was from the simplicity that is in Christ. The word simplicity there doesn't mean stupid. It means singleness, the one single focus. The Galatians were being drawn away from Jesus into legalism and into law. But the church can become our focus. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2, the first of the seven churches, a wonderful church. And if I had to choose to be in any of those churches, I would probably choose to be in the church of Ephesus. Because they had all their ducks in a row. No false doctrine. No false preachers. They were able to discern between true and false apostles. They are working hard for the sake of the kingdom. There are 11 things or 10 things that God commends them for that they're doing. They're doing everything right. But they left their first love. Not lost, left. Left their first love. What is the first love? I think I may have spoken with you about that before. I can't remember. First love is not the love I first had when I first got saved. The word there is not used in a sequence. It's used in an order. I've left my number one love. Something else has become number one to them. Who was to be number one? Obviously, Jesus. Jesus is not number one, he's, he's saying to them. What had become number one? The church had become number one. They were so involved in the church and doing the stuff of the church and preaching and praying and discerning and uh, standing against false doctrine, standing against the Nicolaitans and all of these wonderful things. But Jesus wasn't the focus anymore. You remember that when Jesus was 12 years old, they go up to the temple and they're having a wonderful conference. I love conferences. We don't have many anymore. Wonderful time to 
see everybody, talk about God's goodness, hear the preachers, worship, do all these things. So they were at the feast, I suppose their version of a conference, meeting family, friends, hearing the rabbis teach, doing the sacrifices, seeing the incense, doing all of these wonderful things. And they're involved in all of these things. And after the conference, they, they're going home. After the, the Passover, they're going home. And they travel for three days. And I can imagine what they were talking about. They were talking about the feast, and they were talking about the law, and they were talking about the, the prophets, and they were talking about God, and they were talking about all of these wonderful things. But what happened? Jesus wasn't there. They'd forgotten about Jesus. Can you imagine? Parents forgetting about Jesus? It blew my mind once when parents in our church went home after the Bible study on Thursday and left one of the kids behind in the, sleeping on the bench. It just blew my mind. You know, how, how can you, you know, they get home and, oh, there's one missing. But three days, and he's missing. And folk, the church is going down the road, and we're having wonderful conference, and we're talking about the things of God, and we're talking about the teaching, and we're worshiping, and we're doing all of these things. But where's Jesus? And there was only one thing to do, and that was to go back and find him where he was and restore him to his place in the family. And may I challenge you, as I hand over to Pastor Gary, that if you've left Jesus somewhere else, because you've got so busy with whatever spiritual stuff you're doing, but Jesus is not there, drop what you're doing and go back and find him where you've left him. Amen.